Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And we are here today continuing our journey through the whole Bible. That's the project, to work through the whole Bible every day, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I'm so glad you've decided to join me today as we continue this amazing endeavour together. I'd like to remind you that if you're here for the first time, why not commit to make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of your daily lives? There's a new one of these podcasts appear every day, Monday to Friday, five days a week. And the plan is to work through the whole Bible over what I believe will be about another five years or so, Lord willing. And if you're here for the first time, why not consider going back either to the start of season three, where we launched off in Matthew, or if you want to go right back to the beginning of season one, it might take you a little while to catch up to where we are today, but that's okay, maybe listen to two episodes a day for a while. And if you are new or here for the first time, I'd just like to point out to you that there is a transcript of each and every episode available in the episode notes of the podcast. doesn't matter who you're getting your podcast from, you'll find it in the episode notes, along with links and various ways you can connect to my ministry and also other Bible teaching resources I put on there. So you're very welcome and with that we'll launch off into this week's study. We're starting a new passage today and I'll see you at the end just to update you on a few things and say bye-bye. So bye-bye for now. Okay, friends, we're reached Matthew chapter 4, and over the next three days, I think it be, we're going to look at the second half of this chapter, covering the section through from verse 12 through to the end of the chapter. And we're thinking about the fact that Jesus said to follow him and what that means. Now, on more than one occasion, I've got lost. And being of the male species, shall I say, if I'm in my car, I tend not to ask for directions. But sometimes if we get really lost on some occasions, I have been forced to stop. And Paula is the one who usually asks for questions on my behalf. And then we're enabled, hopefully, to get to where we were wanting to go. Now, when I was young, of course, I moved around by foot most of the time. And sometimes you would ask people for directions. And sometimes people would even say, well, I'm going near there, just follow me. And simple enough, that usually worked very, very well at that time. They were going near to where you were going, so you just followed them, and then you would arrive at your destination. Now, I don't think we'd recommend doing that in this day and age, but I grew up in a very small rural community where pretty much everybody knew everybody else. Now, as we know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, of course, walked this earth, and he also used this phrase, he said, follow me. Now, I suppose if we were physically, sort of geographically present with him at that time, it might be easy to do that, providing all we needed to do really would be be willing, to be willing, wouldn't it? We could just follow him, and when he turned right, we could turn right, and when he turned left, we could turn left. But he's not here with us today, is he? Not in that sense anyway physically 
So what does it mean for us today when Jesus appears to issue this command that we should follow him? What's involved? What exactly do we have to do? Well, these are the questions that I'd like us to think about over the next few days. Now, a few weeks ago, we began this series through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've made it where we're halfway through chapter 4, aren't we? But I think before we begin, I need to remind you of everything that's happened up in the Gospel up to this point. Because all of this is actually Matthew's account of the preparation of Jesus for his ministry. We've been given a genealogy right at the beginning, and we were given an account of his birth all declared to be and shown to be the fulfillment of the prophecy of scripture. We were told about the visit of the wise men and we are also told that he fled into Egypt and then came back from Egypt again and we're also told about this ministry of John the baptism and we witness the events around the baptism of Jesus himself which was a unique event and then we've just come out of this first half of this chapter when we've been looking at the events around the temptation of Jesus by Satan. And it's useful to hold those all in mind, keep those in mind under the framework of the fact that all these events have been for the purpose to prepare Jesus for his ministry. So now, beginning at verse 12, it's telling us this. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that's John the Baptist it's talking about, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth And he went to live in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. So beginning with this verse, we're now told that Jesus launches out on his public ministry. But what's not obvious is that between verses 11 and verse 12, there's a gap. And that gap is in fact about a year. You see, if you take the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark and Luke, and line them up alongside, correlate them with the Gospel of John, You'll see then why most Bible experts have come to the conclusion that some events that are recorded in John chapters 1, 2 and 3 are events that happened before this departure into Galilee, this thing that we're seeing here. In other words, we know from across the other gospel accounts that in the intervening year, in the gap between verses 11 and 12, Jesus has made a trip to Jerusalem where he met with Nicodemus, a very famous passage which we'll come to obviously later in John's Gospel, and he has also met Peter and Andrew. And according to John chapter 1, they had actually recognised that he was the Messiah. So they know that Jesus is the Messiah at this point. So all of those events have taken place before we get to this verse. Now, I'm going to treat the rest of this chapter as a unit, these verses 12 to the end of, of the chapter 4 as a complete unit. And the rest of this chapter, its purpose, well, it will do a number of things for us. First of all, it will tell us that he is departed into Galilee, again confirming that that was the fulfillment of prophecy. And the second thing which we will see is, is it is at this point in the passage that he calls these men Uh, These men who were fishermen, people, some of whom had already knew knew who he was, already met him and understood who he was. It's important to know that some of them, if not most of them, had recognised that he was the Messiah. And he, at that point, then calls and says, follow me. And then the passage will end with the fact that we will see he goes around Galilee preaching, teaching and healing the sick. So this chapter 
this next passage, this second half of this chapter, will naturally fall into three sections, and I hope we're going to look at those over these next couple of days. But what is striking is what he said, and how it is not only directed towards the people in the narrative, but the way Matthew frames it, it's clearly a call to the reader reading it to follow me. This was, of course, call was initially directed towards the disciples, but most experts say it obviously applies to anyone who is approaching the text and reading it, which of course includes us right down here today, 2,000 years later. So if that's the case, maybe this coming passage is going to be a helpful indication of what it actually means to follow Christ, because this passage is all about what Christ is doing. And if we can figure out from this passage what he's doing, then we will automatically know what it means to follow him. So the question in the passage is, what is it telling us that Christ is doing? Well, the first thing I want to point out is it tells us that he goes into Galilee and that the scripture was fulfilled by him doing that. Now, if you think of that another way, it shows immediately that Jesus was willingly conforming his life to what scripture had said. Let me show you a couple of details around the background to this. It says in verse 12, then he departed into Galilee, and then in verse 13 it says he leaves Nazareth and goes down to the southern part of Israel around Jerusalem, where he gets the word that John the Baptist has been executed. Now the passage doesn't go into any detail here, but we're given a lot more detail about the circumstances immediately following this as we progress through this Gospel of Matthew, and of course we'll study it in due course. But at this point it's important to note the death of John the Baptist is probably the catalyst that sends him out of the south and up again to the north into Galilee. And verse 13 says that is where he, that when he went there, the first place he went to was Nazareth. Now we know he grew up there, but something happened there that Matthew doesn't go into. But Luke chapter 4 gives us the details of what happens when he arrives in Nazareth. What happens there is that Jesus goes into the local synagogue. Now the synagogue is a radically different place from the temple that that you may have read about. The temple is the main place down in Jerusalem and at the temple All the religious ordinances were carried out and the sacrifices were made. But the synagogue, that is a place which is something that we would probably more easily recognise today as a sort of meeting place, in some way similar to a church service. The synagogue always served as the local teaching centre and they did a couple of things there. They prayed, they read the scripture and then someone would stand up and explain the meaning of the passage of scripture that had just been read. It was a very simple service and each time they would often at the end of the exposition of the scriptures they would even also usually have a time of questions and answers. So it's very local, very informal and some might say even quite welcoming which lends itself to Jesus being able to go to the synagogue and being able to read the scriptures because of the role that it played. So the first thing he does when he gets to Nazareth and he finds out they're reading Isaiah, he stands up and says, this passage is fulfilled in me this day. Now when the people of Nazareth in the synagogue heard that, 
and they herded around the town. They evicted them out of the temple, and it would appear they almost ran them out of town, so to speak. In other words, they did not accept what he said at that point. Now, Matthew doesn't go into this at all, but we know from the Gospel of Luke that that's what actually happens. Matthew just says, simply says, and leaving Nazareth, he came to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is at the very top of the Sea of Galilee, and it's more inland and further north. So he's now left where he grew up and went up still further north to Capernaum. But we mustn't miss the significance of this place, Capernaum. Capernaum, you see, was Jesus' headquarters in a sense. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth, that's true. But when he really began his ministry, it would seem he operated mainly out of Capernaum. As we read through the Synoptic Gospels, if you look carefully, you'll see that a lot of his ministry was in and around Capernaum. He was constantly in and out of that town in that region. So here he's left Nazareth and he's made it to Capernaum, which is at the top of the Sea of Galilee, as it tells us. Now, what people reading this at that time would have noticed was the great contrast between those two places. You see, Nazareth, was more Jewish than Gentile, and Capernaum was more Gentile than Jewish. As a matter of fact, the whole area of Capernaum was populated by lots and lots of different groups of Gentiles who lived there. A famous historian called Josephus, who was actually once governor of Galilee uh, and the Capernaum area, said that there were no less than 240 small villages in that area with populations of up to around 15,000 people. So this is a highly populated, and you almost might say in modern language, a cosmopolitan area. This was much more populated, densely populated than the south. But at any rate, that's where Jesus goes. He goes to Capernaum, and at this point, Matthew tells us that this is also the region of Zebulun and Naphtali to really narrow it down for us. Let's just revisit the text again, picking up from verse 13 to 16. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebdolin and Naphtali, to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And here's the quote. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Matthew is telling us that Jesus does this in order that it might point out that the words of prophecy might be fulfilled through him. And when he quotes from Isaiah 9 verse 1 and 2, which is what that quotation is, that's important. It's important to know what the point of his quoting the Isaiah chapter 9 reference is. You see, at the time it was written, it was talking about the fact that Assyria is going to come and conquer the northern kingdom, and then after those events, a great light is going to come. But it's not coming from Jerusalem, it's going to come up from the Galilee area. And Matthew here is seen to take that and apply it to Jesus, and is saying that's why he went to Galilee, because those events that he's describing, the events of that day of Jesus appearing in that place were foreshadowed in Isaiah chapter 9. It says in Matthew's account here that the people are sitting in darkness. Now actually, in the earlier Isaiah version of this text, the exact word is used as it says they're walking in darkness. 
Now, some commentators have suggested that this is telling us that the situation has deteriorated so much now that they're not no longer walking in darkness. They are sitting in it. They are living in it. Some might say wallowing in it. And furthermore, that darkness is such a deep shadow that it is the darkness of death itself. So into this region of spiritual darkness and death, Jesus comes and then it says and then declares, now the people can see a great light. This light has dawned, the light of the world has landed in Galilee. So that's quite an amazing thing for Jesus to declare and perhaps little wonder the people who didn't know him as Messiah reacted so negatively to it. So these opening verses here in this section are simply telling us that Jesus came to Galilee and this was indeed another fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament scriptures. Now let me suggest at this point he is about to remember, meet people and say follow me. But where will he go and what will he do? That's the big question. And the answer from chapter 4 and the passages that follow is that we see him right from the beginning, from this calling point, this launching out on his public ministry, he right from the beginning conforms his life to scripture, allows scripture to lead his life and to do what the will of the Father was for him to do. I wonder if you've ever thought about the fact that if you too decide to follow Jesus, that will mean, among other things, that you're going to have to bend your will into line with what the Bible says and do what Jesus did just like he did. Now how did he do that? Well look back at the preceding chapter. Do you remember we've just finished talking about the temptation of Jesus where the devil came and attempts to tempt him three times and all three times Jesus's response is to quote the book of Deuteronomy. So what does that tell you? Well, if you put it like this, let me put it like this. If you were tempted tomorrow, could you pull a text out of Deuteronomy as a response to deal with that temptation? Most of us, I believe, could not do that. Maybe some of us would have a better chance of pulling something out from the New Testament, but many can't even do that. And you see here, the model Jesus is setting is Jesus was saturated with the word of God. So that when he needed to know what to do and how to respond, the scripture was always on the tip of his tongue, right at the forefront of his mind. He knew exactly what to do because his mind was saturated with the word of God. And if you want to follow Christ, if you want to follow him, it begins with saturating your mind with what the Bible is telling us about. Telling us about what he said and what he did. And by simply trying to do that. He conformed his life to scripture and so should we. But what else did he do? Well, we'll continue and look at that next time. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. What a privilege and pleasure it is to be working together with you my friends, through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I'm really being blessed by it, and I hope you are too. So thank you so much for joining me on this journey. It's such an encouragement to know that there are so many of you doing this. 
what started out as a very small, simple idea in response to the pandemic has morphed into something, a much bigger vision, which is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But not just reading the Bible, as some people do and have done for many years, it's actually we're going to study through it, work our way through it the whole way, Lord willing. So I do really appreciate the encouragement it gives me that there are so many of you doing it, but I also covet your prayers. Covet your prayers that I and my family might have the the health and the resources that I can keep doing this and commit to doing this every day, Monday to Friday anyway. And let me just remind you again that there are ways which you can connect with this ministry. There are more materials than just the Bible Project Daily Podcast. I'm constantly putting on more sort of more structured discipleship courses on other platforms that that I operate on, as well as uh, you will see appearing from time to time in those other places, either the audio or the text of talks I've given in secular environments, which some of you may find useful. But if you go into the episode notes page, you'll not only, as I said at the beginning, find the transcript of every podcast, but you'll also find ways in which you can link to my uh, YouTube channel, my Facebook page, my Patreon page, even my LinkedIn, where I put some of my more structured formal courses. And there's even a link to my Bandcamp and Soundcamp pages where I create some of my music and sound design, which you will hear in the background of these podcasts. But a really good thing to consider is if you're benefiting from this, if you're benefiting from having the rhythm of the Bible as part of your daily life, why not consider enabling other people to have that experience as well by liking it, sharing it, doing all those things that you can do on the social media so that this can be made available to more and more people that they might experience the life-changing power of the Bible. What we believe is the Word of God. But anyway, that's it for today. I do hope you to see you again, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, tomorrow or whatever day it is for you, when you open up again the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.